Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Oh, you know, just um, not acknowledging anything that's happened in sports in the last, you know, 72, 96 hours, whatever it's been. Well, bad news, loser. You're doing a podcast and you're going to have to address that stuff. Um, We're going to talk a little bit later in the podcast about Ohio State. You can jump ahead to that. I'll try to make a note. Uh, for a timestamp on when we start the Ohio State conversation. And if I remember to do that, I'll put that in the description of this episode. You could just jump right ahead to that. I don't blame anyone for not wanting to listen to more nonsense about Penn State against Illinois, James Franklin's future, any of that stuff. Where I want to start, though, Matt, just like a general standard vibe check with the program. We'll start with on the field and we'll go off the field. And uh, Nick and I, of course, did our uh, our recap podcast talking about uh, Penn State's game against Illinois. It stunk. Uh, we didn't really enjoy talking about that, but we do think uh, like I do think it's a good thing to talk about again because it was really, I would say, um, you, you, it, it's the kind of thing that I just don't think happens to a football team that is in a good place. And I think it probably is a bad sign for Penn State that they lost that game, but I want to ask you your thoughts. Just like as you sit here, well, we're now four or five days out from that, what were your thoughts as you were watching the game and then as you thought about the game of the days since? What have your thoughts been on that? Well, I think my thoughts kind of um, devolved as the game went on. Um, you know, the first half, it's, you know, there's a level of frustration that things aren't working right. Why aren't things working right? I can't believe that they're letting Illinois hang around. But in the back of your mind, there's that, well, they'll figure this out at halftime. You know, they just want to get to, get to the locker room get straightened out and then, you know, put the pedal to the floor in the second half and you just kind of forget those first 30 minutes ever happened. And then the third quarter started. And I think Bill, you said something on the blog Twitter during, you know, leading into the second half saying that we'll, we'll know how this game is going to go based on this drive or something to that effect. And I don't think Illinois scored, but they kind of came out and kept doing what they've been doing offensively for most of that half. And then Penn State got the ball and did basically nothing with it. And I think that was the moment where, at least for me, and I think a lot of us probably felt, oh, crap, this is this is going to be a dogfight. Um, it just was nothing on any level went right, had gone right for Penn State. And as we know from at this point, nothing really did the whole game. Um, you know, they have a banged up quarterback, a backup quarterback they clearly don't trust, um, a defensive line that clearly to at least some degree missed PJ Mustafer. Um, you know, they weren't getting calls. They, you know, were dropping passes. They, for the seventh time that this year, they haven't been able to run the ball. And um, it just felt an awful lot like the snowball going downhill where things start off bad and then something else bad happens. And before you know it, things have just gone so far out of control that, um, a coaching staff that I've talked about before has been pretty good at, at writing the ship at halftime going all the way back to um, the big 10 championship season. Couldn't really get their arms wrapped around it. And I know you and Nick discussed it and we've talked about it ad nauseum and our fans have talked about it ad nauseum. 
the fact that this is kind of this trend coming out of bye weeks and or coming off of losses where they haven't been able to write that ship when things have gone wrong um, against opponents of varying levels of talent, we'll say um, it's just, it's mind boggling. And um, I wrote about it on the site. I think we posted it on Tuesday afternoon that where Penn state was at the end of the first quarter against Iowa to where they are now, what you say five days after the Illinois game heading into what feels like a hornet's nest in Columbus um, is just astonishing. Um, not even taking the off the field stuff that we're going to talk about here in a minute into it. There is this, this feeling of like, when's the next shoe going to drop? What's it going to be um, for a program that was, you know, felt like they were on the way to being number two in the country um, with the, where they were at the end of 15 minutes against Iowa to where they are now barely in the top 25, um, probably out of it unless, you know, something astonishing happens in Columbus this weekend. Um, it's just, it's, it's weird. And it's very atypical in a lot of ways of what the program's become, especially in the last five years or so um, since that 2016 season. It's amazing because it feels like I think there are a lot of parallels between how Penn State fans feel now and how they felt maybe not after the Maryland game last year, um, maybe after the Nebraska game last year, one of those games where it was just like this feeling of loss, this feeling of resignation, this feeling of anger, all these sorts of things have kind of come to the head. And it's just, it's something that like, this is by no means an original thought. Like I think Sean Fitz over 24 seven, I think put it this exact way. I have other friends who put it this exact way in texts and tweets and other conversations I've had. Penn state is one extremely legal hit on Sean Clifford away from being a football team that is eight and know that right now and is heading into Columbus where I don't think either of us would feel good about the game, but we'd feel exponentially better than we do right now. And it, it, it's just a startling thing. Like I ha- I've never seen at, like at least in my time as a Penn state fan, for purely football perspectives, things just going this like this sideways this quickly again, just for football reasons. Uh, can I just give you? Can I just give you one take on the Illinois game that I've been saving that like I haven't shared anywhere, but it, it, it's been gnawing at me, and I keep forgetting to mention it. By all means. So I think because I'm a I'm a sane person to an extent, uh, the new overtime rules are horrific. They are legitimately one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I do think they would be about 50% worse if they didn't switch end zones every time. Uh, but I still think that they are a total disgrace. Do you, do you agree with this point? It's... One of the strange things of a very strange system, and I, I will say this, I, I really haven't, of all the strange things that happened on that game, the fact it went to 11 overtimes or you know, some ungodly amount of numbers. Nine um, overtimes, Matthew. 
that um, the the changing of ends was 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 incredibly bizarre. And at the same time, I understand the the goal behind the the, the change. It was in a good right. place, but I had this conversation um, with someone after the game at my one-year-old niece's birthday party where I watched all nine of those overtimes Oof. where they were basically trying to solve a problem that didn't exist. Yes, you had the odd game every three, three or four years that went to five or six yeah. overtimes where you had kids playing 125, 150 plays or whatever it was. But a, a, a favorite saying of mine is the exception that proves the rule that's yeah. what those are. It's you know, it's the exception that goes that long. Right. It's the it, it's the you know, it's the game everyone the game everyone points to, and I think the NCAA directly points to as well. LSU, Texas A and L, I think goes seven overtimes. Joe Burrow gets dehydrated and passes out, and like not like absolutely not minimizing it. Like that that is awful. All those sorts of things, but like we got a really stark reminder that. Football is a violent game, and like not, that sort of stuff happens when, in the safer overtime, Illinois quarterback Art Sikowski broke his wrist and was out for the season. Yeah, it's just it's, and and then you add in the factor, you know, the the two point factor becomes very, you know, it's you know, especially given those two offenses, you know, the the odds of of one team scoring and the other team not in any given period seems exceptionally low where you're going to, this is going to lead to it going on and on anyway, because right. both teams are going to score. Both teams are going to get stopped. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's very weird. And then, like you said, adding in the switching of ends that just, you know, between two point conversions, it's just, just, just bring back ties. Like, honestly, the, the pollsters, they don't need it to be easier. We don't need the narrative drivers to have an easier job. Like, just just let football games end in ties, man. Like, the NFL still does it. College football can still do it. Um, let's, let, let's move on to um, the what, – what's, what's the saying that I think Lenin uh, – I, I believe it was a Vladimir Lenin saying there are – uh, months where nothing happens and weeks where months happen or something like that. Uh, we're in one of those weeks where months happen. Uh, since the game, uh, James Franklin has continued to see his name linked to other head coaching jobs around the world of college football. Uh, it came out that Franklin uh, switched agents from Chase, uh, Trace Armstrong to uh, college football power broker, uh, Jimmy Sexton. Uh, that was something that did happen over the summer. It had been reported. Uh, and then Franklin eventually confirmed that happened over the summer. So it's not as salacious, uh, as it might seem, but Matt, like, I think that even if you are in the camp that you and I are in, which is where we understand what Franklin is doing here, uh, we hope it doesn't lead to him leaving Penn state, all these sorts of things like, Everything just seems so weird right now, man. <laughs> that could describe so many things about the last, I don't know, what is it now? 18 days since the yeah, Iowa yeah, game? Yeah, something like that. Um, it's Yeah, it's weird. And for a guy, and you've made this point a couple times, both in Slack and in Twitter and, and everywhere else, um, to different degrees, that for a guy that is so on message with basically everything he does. It's weird 
there's that word again, that every time, and that's, I'm not isolating to the last two weeks or even this week, but every time his name comes up linked to any job that is or isn't open, his inability to provide an answer that doesn't lengthen the conversation or doesn't uh, lead on the conversation is bizarre. Um, almost to the point where you wonder if there, you know, there's some some intention behind the madness, if you will. Um, like you said, I don't, n- neither of us, I think, are, are pushing for him to leave. Neither of us are questioning the general motives of, of why this comes up. And I think, um, and we'll probably talk about it here in a minute, you know, it's, it goes beyond getting himself more money. Um, it, it, it's really about the, the overall infrastructure around the program, both, you know, physical infrastructure and then the, the support infrastructure, whether that be assistant coaching money or support staff or um, just the general support for the program from a financial standpoint, from the university, from donors, et cetera. Um, I, and it's, you know, something that um, our buddy Sam Cooper mentioned last night um, in one of the, the Slack channels that we're both on that I think really crystallized it for me that you don't fight as hard as James Franklin has fought for really the eight years he's been here to get everything for this program if you're not invested in it. And I don't think that means that he 100% is staying. You know, there's, um, and I think that's a reason why he has answered the questions as non-committal as he has, is because he's almost overly logical in this regard, where I think he isn't going to rule anything out until whatever situation he's involved in at that moment is, is resolved, whatever way it might go. I think it's a way almost psychologically of keeping his options open, if you will. Um, but I, I think, and he, you know, you read his whole quote from uh, Wednesday evening, you know, where he got the, the, but things are going on behind the scenes or I can't remember how he put it, but if you read that whole quote, um, that whole answer to the question from, I think it was Ben Jones, it's, you get a sense of he really is invested in Penn state. He, you know, is involved in the community. He, he talks about how much he values it and how much he hopes his actions over the last eight years that he's been here have backed that up. But there are, to, I think the way he put it, there are other things at play and those other things I don't think are necessarily the USC and the LSU job. I think that's part of it, but it's also, you know, those infrastructure things we were just talking about. So, um, I think there's a set, a level of, of unpreparedness, but also a lot, a level of very calculated choice of words too, because we know that about James Franklin, that he's always very careful about, careful about how he chooses words and, and how he phrases things for the most part. Well, that's, what's made this all, this entire week so weird to me, Matt, like that exact thing. Like I think Nick Saban and you know that might be the entire list of college football coaches who are more aware of every single word that comes out of their mouth and how it can be viewed and how it can be used and that sort of thing. And like I'm not sitting here and saying I want James Franklin to give the answer to this question that uh, Jimbo Fisher did when uh, Jimbo got 
link to various jobs. Like, I mean, for one, Jimbo's situation is very different from Franklin's. Like, or the Mike Tomlin answer that yeah, got a yeah, lot of traction the other well, day. The, the the Mike Tomlin answer is just like a completely different animal. But like, I do think Jimbo's a better example of it because Jimbo straight up said, "Like, listen, I love A and M. I'm going to stay here. I'm living out like I blah blah blah." Like, Jimbo Fisher makes more money than James Franklin. He never has to ask a single question of anyone to get anything that he wants. He has a something he mentioned: great relationship with his chancellor, great relationship with his AD. Well. Penn State's about to lose its president and very likely could end up losing its athletic director. And there's a level of uncertainty that comes with that. So like the, the situations are a little bit different, even though like I'm like anyone, I would like it if James Franklin could come out here and just straight up, you know, Matt, I apologize. I'm about to do a Jimbo impression. Uh, I love I'm hearing gonna, a- I'm going to take my headphones out then. Uh, I, I love hearing a I'm a chancellor. My dog just looked at me very weird as I did that. Uh, but I, I would love it if James Franklin would do that. But again, like, it's just a weird situation here where you could tell he's always fighting for stuff. A story that I like to tell is that uh, in 2014, after Franklin came on board, uh, a member of the staff at the time gave me a tour of the facility with a few other folks uh, and explained that, like, Penn State's facilities had fallen so far behind. And Penn State's facilities have gotten much, much, much better. Don't get me wrong. But Penn State's facilities at the time had fallen so far behind that there needs to be a constant, constant commitment to making them better, to making Lash better, Haluba, all these sorts of things have to be better. And I say all of that to say this. James Franklin has fought for that stuff. I want James Franklin to keep getting that stuff. If Penn State doesn't give James Franklin that stuff, I think he kind of has to leave. I am inclined to believe that's not going to be the case. That Penn State will continue to give James Franklin basically anything that he might want. Um, to me, though, my issue with all of this is just this entire week, Franklin has seemed distracted uh, by the Illinois loss, by it just seems like everything going on right now. You know, it's a, things that people have mentioned uh, plenty of times in his press conference on Tuesday. He referred to Ohio State as Illinois and said we're focused on Illinois on I think two occasions. He said that Ohio State plays at the Big House, which I mentioned to a friend uh, who is a Michigan fan, and I think that bothered them. Uh, which, like, listen. If James Franklin is looking to uh, get Michigan fans mad, God bless him. He's brilliant. But like that stuff, there was that quote, the quote that you mentioned, um, which, yes, when you read the full quote, it's certainly not as bad as uh, the part that did go around Twitter where he said, I am fiercely loyal to Penn State, to these players, to the staff, but there's a lot of moving parts. But at the same time, like he's not a coach who puts himself in position for that stuff all that often. Like he's a coach who, like I mentioned, is aware of stuff and how it comes out and how it's going to appear. And when you put all that stuff together, like it just seems like this dude is distracted right now. My guess is that the Illinois game probably is the main source of that, but it's really hard, Matt, at least in my opinion, to not look at all that stuff and look at all the noise going around James Franklin and not scratch your head and go like, Man, is his like I have no doubt that his heart is fully set on winning this weekend. 
But it just seems like his brain is all over the place with everything surrounding the program right now. Oh, I would agree with that. And I, I would agree too that I would say, you know, this is amateur psychological hour, I guess, but I would say 80% of that is probably the Illinois fallout combined with the unbelievable mountain that they have to climb this weekend to have any shot to win. Um, but I, I actually, I did an OSU podcast earlier in the week with um, Michael Citra, who um, I think it's the silver bullet podcast is what they're going by now. But um, he asked me about that and, and kind of what impact that noise around the program is having. And I think for as much as the staff and the players and the, the team leadership try and shut that stuff out, you've got a bunch of 18 to 22 or 23 year old kids that are on social media that are going to classes with, you know, friends outside of the program, you know, are going to, you know, dinner or going to the bar or you know, whatever have, they might be doing. They have friends at other schools. And like, I, I, my guess, like I have to assume is that like the players at other schools that see this stuff going around, find it really funny. And then if they have a, Jahan Dotson's number, if they have a Joey Porter Jr.'s number, they're going to bust their chops about it. Oh, for sure. My point is there's no getting away from it. And when you've got a bunch of, you know, young adults to, you know, whatever you want to, 18 to 23 year olds, we'll just go back to that. Um, It's naive to think that there isn't some sort of impact. Is that why they lost the Illinois game? I, you know, maybe it's 10% at the most, you know, but it's still a factor, and I think it's, um, you know, despite best efforts, it's it's going to to be a, a, an issue until it's resolved in a very official way, one way or another, whether that's a contract extension or a very direct denial from James Franklin or, you know, someone else fills the opening at USC or LSU. Um, it's going to be there. Um, and the challenging part is it's going to be there going into the absolute toughest test they're going to face this season. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I, if this was just happening in the lead up to a game against Rutgers or against Maryland, it would be really hard for a pill to swallow. But like James Franklin, when you watched him on Tuesday, I watched that entire press conference. He looks like a dude who hasn't been like sleeping much. He looks like a dude who is just so like frazzled right now. And uh, like after what happened over the weekend, you kind of have to be. But yeah, I mean, like it's it, it's hard not to feel like that is seeping in or to think that that is seeping in. And I really hope it is not because like you're with me, Matt, and like it would be. There are a lot of fans who I think are getting to a point where they're not happy with James Franklin and wouldn't hate to see him leave. James Franklin is the best man to coach Penn State. He's going to remain the best man to coach Penn State. And if he were to leave, if he were to be preoccupied with taking another job, as annoyed as I think a lot of fans are, myself included to an extent with him, that would be a bad thing for the program. Yeah, it's um, 
I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it, but I think it's, you know, that it's not a great apples to apples comparison because a place like Florida state or a place like Nebraska have their own limitations that are, I think a bigger <gasps> hurdle than, than what Penn state faces, but both places have moved on from coaches that in Florida state's case won a national championship and then didn't get the support that he wanted much in the way, by the way, that I think Franklin is trying to rally support for his program at Penn state. Um, and look what the, look where they've gone since then. Look where Nebraska has been trying to get back to for the better part of 25 years now. Um, yeah, I mean, you you could you know James Franklin could go to USC and you know just for the sake of argument, we'll plug Luke Fickle's name in there, and he could be the the guy that takes Penn State to that next level. He could also be the guy that the job's too big for him, and they you know struggle to to get back to that 10 win mark that James Franklin has hit three times um, as Penn State's head coach. So you just don't know what the unknown is because you're not bringing in, you know, there, there's no surefire winner out there, you know, as as high up as a guy like Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell or Jeff Halfley or um, Mark Stoops or whoever you want to plug in. As, as solid of coaches as they are, you just don't know because Penn State is a different animal um, than the job that any of those guys currently have. And for all of the frustrations and mistakes and head scratching moments that we've had with James Franklin, the proof are in the results. You know, Penn State hasn't had a run like it's had under him since the early eighties. And, you know, we surely certainly want them to take the next step, but is there someone else out there that you are 150% confident is going to be the guy that can take them to that next step when you have a guy that certainly appears to be building towards that with the way he's recruited, with the way he's been able to get those investments into the program with the number of results he's been able to have, um, despite the ones that remember that didn't go his way. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't kind of thing. That Lucas Zeller, Ryan Goldman. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I wonder is wondering if that reaction is, uh, is what I thought it was, and yes, that was. Uh, I think that's the right the right response. MLS is back. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, I think that's everything on this subject. I mean, at the end of the day, I want Penn State to support 110 percent whomever its football coaches, as long as Penn State is convinced that guy is the guy. Uh, and I have no reason to think that Penn State doesn't think James Franklin is going to be the guy. Uh, and if they do, like, I, I, I hope the situation is remedied as soon as possible, but I, I would be stunned if I am wrong here. Uh, we say all of that ahead of this. Penn State plays a football game this week. It's a very important football game uh, between the Nittany Lions and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Matt, can you do a really quick gut? impression of Gus Johnson saying the name of the football team Penn State's playing this weekend? The world famous Ohio State Buckeyes. You really suck at impressions. Ohio State. You knew that when you asked me. This is on you. Why do you think I asked you? Ohio State, 6-1, and one, number 5 team in the country. Penn State, 5-2, and two, number 20 team in the country. Uh, Penn State is an 18 and a half point underdog. 
Our pal Bill Conley has this game ending 35-21 Ohio State. And Matt, between you and me, if this game ends 35-21, I am doing a backflip. <laughs> I, I will be very happy with um, a couple of, of online transactions that were made earlier this week when that line was, uh, I got it at 15 and a half, 16.5. Um, so I, I feel like I got some value there. But I, I would be... Um, okay, losing that money, I guess. Oh, you got Ohio State to cover fifteen and a half. You're saying exactly. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would also be, uh, like I, as my friend, I want you to make money, but I would be pretty happy if you, uh, don't make money in this situation. Uh, the Buckeyes, number one team in the country in SP plus, number one in offensive SP plus by a very comfortable margin over Oklahoma, number twenty in defensive SP plus. There are some ways to attack this Buckeye defense. Uh, and I I don't want to start there, Matt, because I, well, I want to start with the other side of the ball. I want to start when Ohio State's offense is on the field. To me, there is barely, if there is anything that Penn State can do to slow down this offense, uh, which is not a remark about how I feel about Penn State's uh, defense. I just think this Ohio State offense is really humming right now. What sticks out about them as you as you look at this team? Well, the, the matchup I'm most in, intrigued by is the Penn State secondary against Ohio State's wide receivers. Um, but I think the matchup that's going to really challenge Penn State, I think where the difference is going to be on that side of the ball, is... Um, Ohio State's offensive line against Penn State's defensive line. Um, we saw in Illinois, obviously went about it differently than Ohio State will by putting 11 offensive linemen on the field to just snowplow for their running backs. But um, And it's kind of been a hallmark for these elite Ohio State offenses, despite all the skill that they've had at running back and receiver and quarterback over the years, their elite offenses have really been driven by really elite offensive line play. Um, and now they've combined that with, um, and it's, it seems bizarre to say because he does get a lot of attention, but I think one of the more underrated running backs in the country in Travion Henderson, who's just, um, you know, I think his emergence and Ohio State making him their, their top guy when it was pretty obvious earlier in the year that he already was, has really allowed their offense to go to the next level. And I think with PJ Mustafer out, with the amount of snaps that, the top guys on Penn State's defensive line have seen, I think that is where Ohio or Penn State's going to get themselves in trouble on Saturday is try, I don't think they can stop the Ohio State running game consistently with just seven in the box. I think they're going to be forced to bring Jaquan Brisker, Jair Brown, um, Daquan Hardy. Um, you don't see him bring Castro Fields or Porter on pressure very often, but they're going to be forced to bring an extra guy into the box and I think that's when, as talented as those cornerbacks are for Penn State, you've got three of the, what do you say, Bill, 10 or 15 best wide receivers in the country all starting for Ohio State, plus Jeremy Ruckert at tight end. Um, I think Ohio State's going to force the mismatch there if Penn State does what I think they'll be forced to do after, you know, at some point during the game to commit extra personnel to stop the run. And that's going to open things up for that passing game that is really where Ohio State wants to live with those big plays down the field. 
Yeah, it was something that uh, our, our pal Jason Priestess and I spoke about. The thing with Ohio State is that Ryan Day really likes throwing the football. Like, he loves throwing the football. So I like I think he's going to it, – it's weird. I don't want to say have to get away from that because I think Ohio State's going to be able to uh, throw the ball well on literally any defense that is not Georgia. Um, but I think that – with the amount of talent that they have on the perimeter and how Penn State is going to have to respond by spreading out against that. Ohio State's going to have their big five offensive linemen, like left to right. It's a very, very, very good unit. And they're going to be able to, if they want to, they're going to be able to grind Penn State into dust. Because I, I actually... It's funny. I think when I first heard you say Henderson is underrated, I was like, what the hell is Matt talking about? But then I thought about it and I was like, this dude is averaging nine yards a carry and has 11 touchdowns in 79 carries this season. Yeah, well, think about where he gets mentioned among a lot of Exactly. Well, that's, yeah. that, that's, that's the entire thing. Like, if he wasn't a true freshman, and I like that part of my concern is that this could be a coming out party for him on a national stage. If he wasn't a true freshman, he would be mentioned as potentially the best back in college. Like I am that high on what this guy is capable of doing. Like Mayan Williams and Master Teague were both very good for Ohio State, but Henderson just kind of took them to a new level. And I think with how they spread Penn State out, how they can spread Penn State out, and frankly, how I think they will. Like there's not even if PJ Mustafer was healthy, even if Penn State didn't just get ripped to shreds by Illinois on the ground, like. Ohio State's not going to need and is never going to need anything more than their five dudes up front and a tight end to win at the line of scrimmage and get Henderson into that second level and potentially third level. Do you think that Penn State has literally any path, Matt, to slowing these Buckeyes down? Because I'm hesitant, but I see exactly one thing that I want them to do. Well, I think the... the the key is going to be what they've really done a lot of all year. And that's that Ben don't break. And we saw it, you know, as I or Illinois was running the ball all over him on Saturday that, and they still kept him out of the end zone um, and with some, some penalty aids on that one. Speaking of weird series uh, where I think two touchdowns got called back, but I digress. Um, I think it's, you know, don't give up the big play. Um, and it's really been, you know, go back to, day one with James Franklin, you know, limit the explosive play, win the explosive play battle, limit him on defense, get a lot of him on offense. And they've done a really, really good job with that this year. And I think Ohio state's offense by and large, I think is the poster child for, for living on those big plays. Um, I think if you force them to have to you know, put together that 10, 12, 14 play drive, you have the, the chance, I don't think it's a great one, but you have the chance for a mistake or um, you know, CJ Stroud to try and force the issue or play calling to try and force the issue. Because like you said, like Jason said, um, Ohio State likes to throw the ball. That's Ryan Day's MO. Um, but if you can keep them from hitting that big play downfield, from getting that quick score, I think that's, and it sounds simple, obviously, I think that's your path though, is to, force Ohio state to have to nickel and dime their way down the field, as opposed to getting that, that big play over the top to get chunks of yardage. So what I'm going to say is that I don't think that's possible. Like I straight up, 
for how good I think Penn State's defense is, and I think it is very good, especially in the second. Like, that's why I'm upset about Mustafer not being in this game, because I wanted it to be Ohio State's passing game, which is quite good against Penn State's secondary, which is quite good, just because I think that would be a really fun matchup to watch. To me, the entire thing with this game is that Ohio State is going to, like, they make high-risk play theoretically high risk plays, very low risk because of the dues they have because of where CJ Stroud can get footballs because how Travion Henderson can shed tackles because of how Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, Jeremy Ruckert are able to go get ball, the ball. Honest to God, I just want them to go for broke. Like I don't think you can afford to bend, but don't break against Ohio state because Ohio state is just that good at getting you to break. I want to see when the ball is in the air, Penn State defensive backs, if they're in the facility, go for uh, in the vicinity, go for the interception, go for the big play, go for those kinds of things because Ohio State is getting that no matter what. If you're rushing CJ Stroud, don't worry too much about him, you know, getting out of the pot. He's not Justin Fields as a runner, he's not JT Barrett as a runner. He's not, he's rushed the ball 17 times for 18 yards. He's not the kind of guy who's going to tuck and run if you give him a corridor of space. Just pin your ears back and try to get there. Try to force fumbles. Try to pick them off when you have opportunities to do that. Like, you need to create your own luck in this game. And there is no better way to create your own luck to me than to say, we're not going to stop Ohio State from big plays. Ohio State isn't like I, I almost feel like the phrase big play offense means that big plays are an element of your offense. They're a big play offense in that their offense does big plays. Again, Henderson, nine yards a carry. Average reception for Garrett Wilson is 17 yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 19 yards. Chris Olave, 16 yards. Just if you're going to fail, man, at least fail by going down swinging and don't fail by like going, all right, we're just going to be really fundamentally sound. We're going to be really calm, really cool, really collected. Like, if you're going to get your ass kicked in this game, you're going to get your ass kicked no matter what. So at least try to turn this game on its head a little bit, like that 2019 game, Matt, where Lamont Wade and Micah Parsons just made plays. And those making plays opened the door up for Penn State. The difference, I would say, between that and this is that uh, while I think my general take on this game from the other side of the football, let's switch over there to Penn State's offense against Ohio State's defense. I think that when it is cooking, Penn State's offense is going to be able to throw on this Ohio State secondary. I don't think Ohio State's back seven is particularly great. I think it has some guys who I think are talented. Denzel Burke is going to be a nightmare for a while. Seven Banks is a solid, if you know, not spectacular, but solid cornerback. Uh, the strength of this defense is up front. I think that Penn State's offense is really just going to have to rely on the passing game. I'm worried about that with Sean Clifford, but I think if Sean Clifford is healthy and James Franklin has said that he believes he is going to be as, I think his quote was something to the extent of as healthy as he has been in a while. Well, and Sean Clifford himself said he expects to be at 100% by Saturday. He says he's saying how good he feels himself. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess we'll find out, but I digress. 
I, I think you basically need to run the 2018 Trace McSorley offense here, man. Like, I think Penn State's only hope at winning this game, and I don't know if Sean Franklin, not Sean Franklin, Sean Clifford will have the facilities to run this game plan, is to basically have your court, sell to your quarterback, this is your time, go out and win this football game. I don't know if they would be able to win this game regardless, but that's with how bad the running game has been and how bad I anticipate the running back game is going to continue to be, that's, I think, Penn State's only shot here. Well, and I think we saw it on Saturday, you know, in the second half, um, certainly in the, the later stages of the second half, the acknowledgement the running game just isn't there. And if you if you can't run on Illinois, who Wisconsin had, I think, 400 yards on the ground against, um, you're, you're just not going to be able to run it. They haven't run it against Villanova. They haven't run it, you know, against Ball State. They just, you know, for whatever reason, the running game's not working, and that's a whole other podcast. But, um, no, I, I think the game has to be in Sean Clifford's hands, and that's really been been the Penn State offense all year. Is it's going to go how Sean Clifford goes? Um, I don't know if that was necessarily the plan going in, but it's you know where they're at now. And if he's healthy, and Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington and Keandre Landwert Smith, and in the, the um, Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange are are healthy, um, you you need those guys. You need your skill guys, and I'd even throw your um, you know, Noah Kane. Uh, John Lovett in, as as pass catchers, um, all those skill guys need to factor in um, because, like you said, Bill, the weakness of this Ohio State defense is in their back seven. Um, I think it's truly in their linebackers. Um, you saw Oregon really exploit that um, to a T back in September in that game that they won. And they really were able to do whatever they wanted offensively. Um, I th- it'd be naive to say that Ohio State's defense has hasn't improved since then. So they certainly have, but they haven't been tested by the type of offense that Penn State's offense can be when those guys are healthy and playing their their A games um, to the extent that Penn State can test them potentially on Saturday. Um, I guess the question is is then can they do it? And it's you know we haven't seen we, for seven quarters now. Penn State's offense has just kind of been stuck in neutral, and um, I think we've attributed a lot of that certainly to the health of Sean Clifford, but um, man, it's a hell of a place to try and shift yourself back into a high gear um, in that kind of environment at night with a hundred thousand plus plus in, uh, in the big house, apparently. Um, (laughs) No, I I think it's um, the the last two weeks have really taken a lot of luster off that matchup. Um, Both matchups. I think the Penn state defense, I think we still expect them to, recovered to some degree from what we saw this past weekend. Um, but I think the injury to Sean Clifford has really taken a lot of luster off of what we thought a month ago Penn State's offense could potentially do to this Ohio State defense the way it appears to be constructed and has been performing, um, you know, certainly in that Oregon game and then it was it Tulsa they played after. Um, they've kind of had a layup line since then. But um, that means... I, as as uh, the guys I talked with on the Ohio State podcast the other night said, you know, it's it's a strange season, and um, I think for as well as Ohio State's played and as poorly as Penn State's played, um, you know, go back to those that 2014 Penn State Ohio State game. I know it was in Happy Valley. I know it was the whiteout. I know it was a different mindset with Urban Meyer coaching, but the talent disparity between those two teams was a hell of a lot more than it is between the 2021 version of each team. Um, and that game went to two overtimes. Penn State under James Franklin, the scoreline hasn't always reflected it, 
they have always played Ohio State really tough. Um, you know, I kind of tossed last year out because it was so strange, but um, teams with wider talent disparities um, in this series have played much closer games. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. I just think it's it's going to take by far the best game we've seen Penn State play all season, and they're going to do it with, you know, in all reality, probably not a, a completely healthy Sean Clifford. I think it it seems backwards to me to believe that as as much in pain as he looked to be on Saturday against Illinois, that he suddenly is feeling as good as he is. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm you know not even uh, remotely a doctor here, but um, it feels like Penn State needs basically everything to go right um, to even have a shot. And even then, you know, is that going to be enough? Yeah, there was a there was a really good factoid tweeted out uh, by uh, Tyler Donahue of Lions twenty four seven. The Penn State is nine and one when Sean Clifford runs for forty plus yards uh, in his career. Uh, didn't have a single designed run against Illinois. If Sean Penn State's path to winning this game, at least in the offensive side of the football, is Sean Clifford is able to get enough cooking in the passing game. And I am, if there is one thing that gives me a little bit of optimism to some extent, it's that Mike Yersich has been in the room with every single member of Ohio State's defensive staff. He's probably been in the room with most of the, well, with many of the impact players on this Ohio State defense. He's seen Haskell Garrett, Jerron Cage, Teron Vincent, uh, Tyreek Smith, those sorts of dudes. He's been there and seen what they are capable of doing. And I think, like, I don't think they had a bad game plan last week at all. Like, I think that the running game just didn't work. And for that reason, the entire thing fell apart. But I think the game plan was, you know, plus Clifford's limitations. I think they're going to have a really good game plan for this one. I think they're going to want – they're probably not going to run the ball well because they just can't do that. There's been a lot written said about Penn State's inability to have that little bit of nastiness. And I think against Ohio State's defensive line, they're just not going to really be able to do that. Even if Ohio State's defensive line lacks the Bosa brother, it lacks the Chase Young type, it's still a good unit, especially in the middle. Uh, You know, now that I say that, maybe – they're going to try and run off tackle a little bit more because they think they can get something against Zach Harrison, uh, Jack Sawyer, JTT, Tyreek Smith, those sorts of guys. But, you know, that, that's just pure speculation on my part. Penn State's leading rusher in this game is going to be Sean Clifford. I think Penn State's path to hanging around is dependent on whether or not they could rely on Sean Clifford to run for 50, 60, 70 yards on some design run, on a couple of design runs, but mostly on plays where stuff breaks down, there's acres of space, and he takes off and goes. Or whether it's Sean Clifford running for 25 yards because that space just is not there because he just isn't physically able to do it because Penn State's running backs can't really get going and Ohio State's able to just focus on him entirely. What I do think is that we're going to see exponentially more of what we didn't see last week, which is using the passing game as an extension of the running game. Uh, I, they have to figure out ways, have, have, have to figure out ways to get the ball quickly into the hands of Jahan Dotson, of Cam Sullivan Brown, of Keandre Lambert Smith, of uh, Parker Washington, of all of those guys. Because when Penn State's offense is able to do that, 
that is a passable way to not have a running game. And I think a lot of that's going to come down to how Penn State's secondary, uh, Penn State's wide receivers and tight ends block down the field. And if they can get that cooking a little bit and Ohio State has to worry about that a little bit more, then maybe those deep shots are able to show up. Maybe they're able to get a little bit of something going on the ground. Maybe it's that sort of stuff happening, but I'm a little bit skeptical. Like I just don't know if with a hobbled Sean Clifford, they're going to be able to get enough going. And Matt, let's look at some X factors for this game. We'll start with uh, – we'll just go with one for Penn State on each side of the ball. Who is the X factor for Penn State on defense? Who is the X factor for Penn State on offense? Well, I think it's on, on defense. It's uh, I'll go with Jaquan Brisker because I think he's the guy of you know. And there's there's several guys I think you you could you could say are in that group, but I, I think he's the guy that is most capable of of being that true playmaker. Um, you know, making the big play, getting the interception. Um, causing a fumble, you know that Lamont Wade guy from the 2019 game, um, Micah Parsons, just kind of creating havoc and and getting getting the ball out of the hands of Ohio State's offense. And I think um, not to get ahead of of the itinerary here, but I think Penn State's key on defense is forcing turnovers, creating that havoc, like you were talking about. Um, I think we disagree about maybe how they get there, but. Um, I think it's Jaquan Brisker on offense. Um, you know, it's the easy answer. It would be Sean Clifford. Um, but I think it's, it's, I'll go with Parker Washington and Kendry Lambert Smith as kind of the, whoever ends up being the number two receiver. Um, cause everyone knows about Jahan Dotson. That's, that's the cop-out answer. Um, and everyone, and obviously Sean Clifford is, is the key that makes the key to the offense for Penn state, but whoever that, that number two target is, and you can even toss in Theo Johnson, Brenton Strange in there as, as pass catchers. But whoever kind of emerges as as the next guy behind Dodson in this game, um, they they need that guy to emerge. I'm just not sure it's any one of those guys. I think is capable of it. And um, you know, we saw it with, with Lambert Smith with the, the downfield catch. He's had a couple of big plays. Um, you know, the one against Illinois, the one against Wisconsin. Feels like Parker Washington has kind of slid into the background a little bit here. But you know, we've seen over the course of a year and a half now what he's capable of um, and the tight ends have struggled. You know, we've talked um, to some degree about the drops and, and missed blocks and things like that. Um, they've certainly gotten themselves in a position to make plays, but now it's a matter of, can they make those plays? So um, I, I think it's those, those secondary guys on offense are, are your X factor there. Uh, for me on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with a guy like Brandon Smith. And the reason I'm going to go with a guy like Brandon Smith is he's just a guy who I think has it in him to make those sorts of big havoc plays. And this is a chance for him to have a bit of a coming out party in his own right. I mean, Penn State doesn't have a ton of dudes who are fast and athletic and physical enough that if they're the first dude to trade beyond Henderson, they're going to be able to take him down and I think he's one guy who could do that. Uh, and then in the passing game, if he's not, if he doesn't get lost, whether that's as someone bringing pressure uh, against CJ Stroud and speeding up that inter- internal clock a bit, or in trying to erase mistakes that might pop up over the middle of the field, I think that's potentially really big for Penn State because they just like that's what you need against Ohio State. You need to have a dude or a couple of dudes 
who were able to look at what Ohio State is trying to do and just take care and just erase it. Like I, this is is a very unfair comparison to him because I'm comparing him to the, to like probably the most other than Lavar, the most talented linebacker Penn State has ever had. But you look back to what happened with Micah Parsons in 2019. We're going to go back to that. Well, Micah just made plays, made stuff happen, made things difficult for Ohio State. And I just think Penn State needs a guy who's going to be able to put themselves in positions where they can make those plays and they respond by making them. Other side of the football, like, this is tough because I think you're generally right, but I'm not picking one dude for this. I'm picking five dudes, and it's Penn State's offensive line. Like, we have seen this unit get embarrassed repeatedly. There's no other way to put it. Penn State's offensive line has been a disappointment this year. It's been a lot of guys who aren't physical enough, who aren't competitive enough, and aren't nasty enough. Like, I hate saying it like that, but that's just what has happened this year. And I don't think they're going to be able to be big and physical and nasty enough consistently against Ohio State's front. But I think they have it in them to potential. Well, they will need to be big enough, physical enough, and nasty enough, just enough to give that little bit of space. So there is a huge difference between a run of one or two and a run of three, four, five yards. When you are able to stay on schedule with your running game and you're not in a situation where it's second and eight, you run it again, or you throw an incomplete pass, it's third and seven or second and eight, and you're way behind the sticks and Ohio State could just tee off on Sean Clifford. They need to have by far their best game of the year at pushing Ohio State back a couple of feet. And if they can do that, then like Penn State's going to be able to hang in this game that I don't again, I don't think they're going to win it. I think Penn State's path to winning this game is, you know, it, it, it's so narrow that it's not like it's almost not worth mentioning. It's it's like Republican running for president and winning California levels of narrow. Like that's the sort of situation that we're just in right now. So let's do some predictions and some fill in the blank. We'll skip Big Ten chat again this week. and We'll just focus on the Penn State game. Ohio State wins this game if blank. Oh, there's a lot of answers to that. I think it's <laughs> Ohio State. If Ohio I, State well, you don't, takes you care also, of business. If Ohio I, State, I was going to say, yeah, you don't have to say one specific thing because, like, that's it. If, if they, you know, they and, and I, I think they could do, you know, three of these things, you know, turn over the ball, um, you know, struggle to run, give up big plays to Penn State's offense. And I think it's still, they're still a, a touchdown favorite if all those things happen. But um, like you just said, Bill, Penn State's path is so narrow. You know, the converse of that is the path for Ohio State to, to winning this game is they have lots of options. They have, you know, three of the 10 best receivers in college football. They have, probably a guy that's emerged as one of the five to 10 best quarterbacks in the country. They have um, the best running back in the country that no one talks about. Um, defensively, there are questions there. Um, but I think the path for Ohio State winning this game is is doing what they've done really all season. Even in the Oregon loss, they moved the ball very effectively. They just couldn't stop Oregon with much consistency at all. Um, but if Ohio State's offense does what they've really done all year, I don't think Penn State's offense is 
in its current state certainly is explosive enough to score enough points, even even with Ohio State's question marks on defense. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll basically agree and say Ohio State wins this game if they aren't their own worst enemies. Like, if C.J. Stroud going up against a defense that is better than the ones that he has played this season suddenly gets a little sped up, suddenly gets a little bit nervous. I mean, one issue that we saw against Ohio against Oregon was Stroud was throwing some good passes, but they weren't quite good enough. And when they were quite good enough, guys were dropping those passes and their running game just couldn't quite get going. And there were a few turnovers in the end. It was just like so many things in that game had to go wrong for Ohio State to lose to a very good football team by one touchdown. And Ohio State's figured out a lot of stuff since then. They got rid of Kerry Coombs, uh, have a new defensive play caller in there. They've made Henderson their number one running back. Stroud has been, you know, they haven't had to rely on Stroud quite as much. But that's what it comes down to. Is Ohio State, and I hate taking this game out of Penn State fans. I really do. Is Ohio State going to beat themselves? If Ohio State beats themselves, then Penn State has a really, like, I do think they have a shot in this game. But you flip to the other side, Matt, Penn State wins this game if blank. To me, it's so reliant on every single break going Penn State's way that I don't want to say it's not worth talking about, but you're you're going to have to spend a whole hell of a lot of time mapping every single thing out that has to go right for Penn State to win this game. Well, I think in a in a very general sense, without getting into every one of those those very specific scenarios, it's force Ohio State mistakes, capitalize on them, and then take advantage of Ohio State's own self-inflicted mistakes. The, the best teams in the country every year aren't perfect, um, with the exception of you know a handful of teams in the last 20 years. There are, every team has flaws. There are every team has mistakes in every game. The difference is the more talented teams, the better teams are able to to cover them up, or the t- their competition is not good enough to take advantage of them. I think Penn State needs to force turnovers, force fumbles, force interceptions, get to, to C.J. Stroud, um, you know, force missed tackles from the Ohio State defense, um, and on top of that. Take advantage of, you know, Ohio State penalties or Ohio State guy running the wrong route or a missed block or a missed assignment on defense. Um, you know, missed assignment in the kicking game. I think special teams is a, a very, um, you know, we haven't really seen it from Penn State this year um, outside of their their punting and kickoffs. You haven't seen you know the big the big punt return. You haven't seen the big kick return. You haven't seen block kicks. I think. You, you almost need one of those. You need a big play in the, in the kicking game to, to flip the field or even get a score out of it. I think you need a lot of those things to happen. And like you said, um, you know, it's a lot of very specific things that need to happen and then take advantage of them on top of that. So let's get into predictions. Uh, Ohio State currently 18 and a half point favorite. SP Plus uh, has Ohio State winning this game by 14 with a win probability of 79%. Over under, Matt, over under in this game is 60. Um, uh, I, that, that's, that's an interesting little number there. Um, I, I'm not 
good enough at math to tell you what the implied score of this game is, if that's the over-under. But uh, what what do you think? What, what do you think of all those numbers? Do any of them sound a little bit better than the others? I think the the point spread, what is it? What'd you say it is now? 17 and a half, I think is kind of what's been floating around the last couple of days. Um, that to me feels about right. Um, I told someone earlier in the week, I thought someone like 38, 17, 38, 20 felt kind of right. I think this is a game where, because we've seen it pretty consistently, um, even in the games that end up with a scoreline like that, where Penn state hangs around, um, you know, Ohio State, you know, is maybe a little conservative because of, of the the significance of the game, especially, you know, in, in years where it's been, you know, two elite teams or the two top teams in the Big Ten. Um, but along those lines, I think, um, I don't think Penn State's offense is going to do enough to keep the defense off the field. And I think the more times you give C.J. Stroud in that offense the ball, the greater the chances that they're going to hit one of those big plays that they're, they're either going to take advantage of one of your mistakes or just as likely they're just going to make a play. Um, Cause that's what they, they do. They did, you know, the, some of the passes that um, Olave especially caught last year against Joey Porter, were just one of those, you know, throw up your arms and you wonder what else you could do. That, um, that, that dude goes and gets footballs. Like he is a power forward trying to grab a rebound. He is like disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it's – they're just – Ohio State has, not to belabor the point, but they have so many weapons and they have so many different ways to beat you. I just don't think over the course of 60 minutes Penn State matches up with that. So I guess I'll go with 38-20 right about on that that 18-point uh, spread, um, right around that total. Um, that feels kind of high to me just knowing Penn State's defense, but um, you know, what do I know? Yeah, you and I disagree. <laughs> Uh, I don't think like the vibes around Penn state are just way too bad. And Ryan day has spent too much time praising this Penn state team this week to make me think that we're not going to see an Ohio state team coming out, trying to make a message here. Um, I'm worried about a snowball effect or a quicksand quicksand is the better way of describing it here, where, uh, this is a phrase that the guys at, uh, the Total Soccer Show, uh, if you're a soccer fan, really great uh, podcast over in The Athletic, I like to say. But basically the idea of a quicksand game is you get caught in it. And while you're in that quicksand, you start getting a little nervous. You start moving around a bit. You start moving around a bit. And as you're moving around a bit and a bit, you keep going farther and farther in. And as you keep getting farther and farther in, you get more worried. So you move more. And that, key, and that just builds on itself. And the faster that you try to get out of quicksand, the faster it pulls you down. Uh, there's a very good John Mulaney bit about how uh, quicksand is nowhere near as prominent as I thought it was going to be when it was a child that, was apply, that applies here. But I think this has the potential to be a game where... Penn State is going to come out. They're going to try and take it to Ohio State. And I just don't know if they have the horses while I think this Ohio State team is just cooking right now and really view this as an opportunity to say, yeah, we suffered that early loss to uh, Oregon. We know that wasn't good. But right now, we're here to announce that 
we deserve to be right there with anyone in the playoff race. Like you have Georgia ahead of us. You have Cincy ahead of us. You have Alabama and Oklahoma ahead of us. We are better than all those teams. And this is going to be a chance for us to prove it. I have this one, Ohio state 49, Penn state 14. I like, I'm just, and that might just be fear coming through of how the last couple of weeks have gone, Matt, but like, I can see this one getting out of hand. No, I, I certainly think it's within the realm of possibilities. Um, I just, um, I have a hard time seeing, um, I guess, Penn State's defense getting getting lit up like that unless things do get really sideways. And you know, we just saw it a week ago how things could snowball. Um, but I, I think you're going to see, in my opinion, Penn State's best effort that we've seen probably That's since fair. since the Auburn game. I don't think that effort alone is going to be enough, but I think it's enough to keep it from getting completely out of hand. Um, I don't think it will be particularly close in the end, obviously, but um, I do think they, they avoid complete humiliation, if that makes sense. No, I, 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 I wish I shared that optimism. Cause like, I, like we've mentioned this dude, like we are one hit on Sean Clifford away from feeling like Penn state has a real shot here and it stinks. It's unfortunate. I hate it, but that's just where I'm at. I'm glad you're not there. I'm praying that you are more correct than I am. I am praying that uh, Ohio State uh, minus 15 and a half bet that you made does not hit. Uh, any final thoughts that you have before I uh, before I wrap this episode of the pod up, Matt? I just want to be happy about sports again. Do you know what's funny, though? I There is part of me, and this might be really naive, but... After this game, the week after they play Maryland, and I think they should be able to beat Maryland, and then Michigan at home and Rutgers before you end the year at Michigan State, like there is the possibility exists that this team can still go nine and three. Like I'm not going to sit here and say that I expect them to. I expect them to beat Michigan. I expect them to beat Michigan State, but like. I see. I can see a scenario where they win both of those games. Oh, there's. You know, we talk about path to victory. There's certainly a path to to nine and three. Um, I think a lot depends on, you know, how this weekend goes. And I, I hate, hate moral victories, but I think, um, given where the program has got, moved to in the last two and a half weeks, that there is something to be said for having some things go right even if the end result isn't there, but build some level of confidence, momentum in what you're doing. So when you go back to practice next week, getting ready for Maryland, there's at least, you know, some level of confidence in, you know, how you're trying to run your offense, how you're trying to run your defense. And hopefully just the general mood around the program is better. I think that's, you know, we talked about last year, um, you know, how things snowballed and just the mood of the program was, was not good. I think there is a, a case to be made in a big picture sense that yes, you want to win the game. Yes. You know, the whole one to know every week thing you, you want to win, but I think, you know, in the back of everyone's mind, they're never going to admit it. If you caught them in an honest moment though, you know, 
hey, if we can if we can move the ball in Ohio State, if we can do some things that we haven't done for a couple games against a really talented team, we can leave Columbus feeling okay about ourselves yeah. and okay about where this is going to go in the last month of the season. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say above everything else, I am very glad that they have not said like there's the. There's been like the hypothetical I've seen a few Penn State fans throughout, which is like, if you would, would you want Penn State to rest Sean Clifford this week and the minute maximizes their chances of winning down the stretch? And I was like, nah, man, like, if you're going to lose this game before you even step onto the field, like, I, again, I think they're going to lose this game. If you're going to forfeit this game, more or less, before you even step foot on the field at Ohio Stadium, like, nah, that's a loser mentality, man. Like, that that's a situation where I would be on board with the people who want James Franklin gone because like I I wouldn't be able to stand that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's anyone connected with the program that's wired yeah. at all like that. I don't think there's yeah. a lot of football Which people period that are wired like that. Yeah, I, I mean I mean Tom Allen kind of did that last week, but neither here nor there. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you go and get your podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to go out and buy some shirts. And make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. It is my promise to you that if Penn State finds a way to win this game, we are doing a live video on Twitter in which I go to the campus of The Ohio State University, which is a you know a nice 15-minute drive from me. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but something's going to happen. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.